0: Welcome to Foothills Christian Church. If you are here on campus for the first time, we're glad you are here. If you're watching online for the first time, we're glad you're joining us. FH is a little bit different. FH is kind of our little an acronym or whatever for Foothills. And we are a little bit different in that our goal is entirely focused on growing your faith. And if you'd like to get connected, if you have been kind of coming on campus and you'd like to get to know more people. Service day is a great way to do that. Our church is trying to be the best church it can be for our community. And so you can kind of sign up for that. But if you, it's also a great way to get to know people and to develop friendships, make some really great difference in the lives of people who are in need. Also had a few requests about with all of the turmoil and the tragedy is going on in the Middle East, particularly in Israel, If uh, people would like to support, if you'd like to to give to some of the relief efforts there, you're more than welcome to on our giving app through PushPay. You can actually scroll on there. It'll say Israel, and you can give directly to that if you'd like, or just give it through uh, a a different mean by just letting us know, and we will send that. We have, uh, because of of our involvement with uh, tourism and pilgrimages to Israel and with other people, In our church, you have connections with people on the ground there. There are some really great ways to give to make a difference and make sure it's going to the most uh, specific type of ministry. So now, before we get started, we're on a series called Disappearing Woman, and we have a QR code because we're going to ask you ladies to get involved. And how this works is you take your phone and you just open up the camera. And it'll scan that QR code, and a little tiny link will pop up when you do that, and you click on that. And then what it does is it, uh, it's gonna, we're going to ask a question. It allows you to give live input and feedback, okay, because that's really important. But what, before we do that, though, uh, just, oh, before I say this, if you're watching on tape delay, the QR code doesn't work. It only happens live just so that you know, because if you're trying to do it and it doesn't work later on, that's why. But uh, before, while you're doing that, I wanted to also see what some of our uh, ladies who are a part of the development of this series and their testimonies would have to say. Let's listen.
1: My name is Kinsey. Um, I have been married for five years now. I have a two-year-old. He just turned two this weekend, and I work part-time. I'm in ultrasound tech. Hi, my name is Jordan. I am a single college student and I work here at Foothills. Hi, I'm Shannon and I'm married. My husband, Mitch, and we have two kids. They're both grown and we even have grandson. Hi, I'm Raquel Martin and I am a mother and I have been married for three years. Let's say the Proverbs 31 woman, which is probably what everybody talks about. Um, you know, a lot of people can look at that as um, that it's a lot of pressure on a woman. But in a recent bible study i found that uh, most likely that's talking about a woman's whole lifespan and that has given me actually so much um, reinforcement it makes me feel good to know that um, these are all things that i can strive for as a woman throughout my life i feel like in being a mother so many tasks sometimes feel mundane and proverbs 31 is a great reminder that all of those little things really are biblical and that's what Number one, God's Word tells me I was fearfully and wonderfully made, and I believe that. Number two, God proves over and over and over again in the Bible that He is who He says He is, He does what He says He's going to do, He fulfills every promise He's going to make, and He is incapable of failure. The truths in the Bible that help me as a woman are the simple truths that I'm loved, that I'm fully known, um, and that the Lord adores me. Um, I love Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman. I've always wanted to be her. She's like my goal. Um, but the more that I study that passage, the more I realize that she's not the goal, but Jesus is the goal. All the things that she does is Christ in her. And so I should be striving towards Christ and to be more life.
0: Boy, we have, these are just, these ladies are awesome. I mean, they're so insightful, and they're a reflection of all the ladies, all the women in our church. I mean, FH women are like the bomb, man, they're incredible. But now we're going to go over to Menti, and that's the name of the program that allows you anonymously to answer this question. And the question is, what truths in the Bible as a woman help you? And let's see what you've been saying uh, to it. And they're going to pop up, and you're going to read them for yourself. And so if you're online watching right now, there's a great way for you to participate. And made in his image, I'm a daughter of the king. God is always there for me, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves me. Christ wipes away the past that I am redeemed and made anew. God is us in all. Uh, God is us all equal, that God loves me just as I am. And so, boy, these things are going to keep popping up. I think they keep popping up. We've got 20 responses in there. Oh, there we go. Scroll us up a little bit. There we go. Uh, God is always with me. I'm not enough, but Jesus is sufficient. Boy, that's insightful. God knows me personally. Wow. To be a faithful wife and, a, and a, a wonderful mother. I am enough. God loved me first. God loves me first. God loves me first. Wow. There's a lot of those. God loves me first. God loved me and now I can love others. I really like some of that. I am not enough, but Jesus is sufficient, you know, and he is who makes me enough. Um, We are talking and studying what does the Bible say specifically to women and about the things that they deal with. And I I talked last week. I was like, well, you know, I've been challenged. I've done I don't know over 50 different series just on men. And the lady said, well, when are you going to do one just for women? And I was like, well, let's get a whole bunch of ladies up there to come in. And they said, no, we want to know what is the Lord speaking or teaching you about it? And I was like, you want me a guy to stand up and tell women stuff? Yeah, I'm a brave man, but sometimes it's better to run away and fight another day, right? So, but anyway, in all seriousness, so I, I got in that. And one of the things that I think is really important that's true for all adults is this notion of, what is God doing in us? I mean, what's the purpose of it? And this is called the life fulfillment equation that we introduced last week. I preached on it before. It comes from Luke chapter nine, where Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Because if you try to save your own life, you're going to end up losing it. But if you lose your life for my sake then you will find it. And so that was such an interesting truth. And the way it works out is it's kind of an equation that I have up here for you that breaks it down specifically. And that is, if I know Jesus right? And this is the notion to follow. And if I know myself and I know what I need to deny about myself, and if I know the world and what the world is trying to do to me so I can choose my sacrifice, then that's how I have a, live a fulfilled life. My soul has been saved. It's been redeemed and filled. The wellspring of life is welling up within it. And so today our question is going to focus on the second part of this, and that is knowing yourself. And the question is phrased in this way. If I am made in the image of God, if I am made in the image of God and he's bestowed all of this value on me, and I know all of these things that he has said to me and I'm believing them, then what do I need to deny in myself? So what is it about myself that interferes with me Grabbing a hold of this version of me that God has pronounced upon me in salvation. So, the first thing you have to realize is that knowing yourself and why it's such an important part of the life fulfillment equation is because when you know yourself is when you start on the path to actual freedom. In your life, when you start living more free each and every day. So I I could tell you stories. I've been in the ministry for full time, about 38 years. And one of the things that happens is you hear lots of stories. You walk alongside people all the time. And I remember uh, there was this gal, she was single. She's in her early 30s. She was, by all standards, an extremely attractive woman but she was heartbroken because she says, I cannot seem to do nothing but date toxic men. That's all I do. Uh, A long time ago, I was talking about uh, ladies, you know, be careful about dating a fixer upper, you know, Um, don't be a DIYer, let God do the work, right? You just move in once he's done kind of a thing. So she was saying, I can't even get a fixer upper, you know, I mean, it's just, these things are, you know, dumpster fires. What, what is it about me that's doing that? Uh, I remember um, a gal by the name of Sarah and she would put her name on the prayer list all the time. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. You know, i uh, she was so dissatisfied in her marriage. She felt so unloved, but everybody who knew her husband was like, he's a great guy. I mean, he was a good guy, but she felt so unloved. Hannah uh, has got ulcers worrying about her children, and her children are in their 30s. It's like, okay, that's, is there anything incongruent about that? When you, knowing yourself is so important because it's a key and path to freedom. Did you know the top counseling issues for women today, uh, and this came out in last week's message quite a bit, is pressure the pressure to be everything and do everything. Now, part of the reason in my contention is that the reason women are experiencing that and feeling this is because society is trying to tell them to do everything. You know, It's all on you. And boy, when you walk in that, when you're trying to be feminine and masculine at the same time, it's exhausting. And that's the top issue in counseling that women are seeking for. Another one is self-esteem and self-worth. When you're trying to be everything, it's difficult to feel value and worth. Uh, the third top issue that women are seeking help for is family relationships. How do I manage them? How do I deal with them? Uh, how, another one is defining their, sem, their self outside of family relationships. The reason why knowing yourself to freedom is because it is a capacity to understand how society is influencing you in a negative way. We'll talk more about that Next week. Here's another reason why uh, knowing yourself is a key to freedom. Let me ask you this question. Ladies, do you have any bad habits? Do you have a bad habit? And it's like, man, why do I do that? I hate that, you know, or I don't like that about myself. Do you have a bad habit? Well, knowing yourself is really important because guess what? Ladies, it's the same for guys, but ladies in particular. Did you know that bad habits tend to form in areas of your life that you are most drawn and wired for? So so what's really interesting is bad habits tend to revolve around your greatest strengths. Isn't that interesting? And they do that. Why? I believe to undermine your greatest strengths. So, the Bible talks about this a lot, all the time. Uh, here's a couple examples. In Psalms chapter 26, verse 2, it says this, "'Examine me, Lord, and put me to the test. Examine me, Lord, and put me to the test. Refine my mind and my heart.'" And that, it's really interesting, that word refine, saying, well, there's some impurities in my mind. There's some impurities in my heart. Lord, would you refine those out of me? And you know how you refine precious metals, right? How do you get the impurities out of precious metals? You heat them up and melt them down. So if you ever feel like your life is too hot and you're having a meltdown, well, you're right on the perfect path towards being refined that's encouraging, isn't it? Um, another one is this, is Psalms 139 verses 23 and 24. And what's fascinating about that one is this, it starts off, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. And then listen to what he says, put me to the test so that you can know my anxious thoughts. Isn't that Interesting put me to the test so that you may know my anxious thoughts verse 24 and see if there is any hurtful way in me now notice now we put it on two separate slides okay but i want you to grab onto this is that he says this in verse 23 he says know my anxious thoughts in order to see if there is any hurtful way within me isn't that interesting so if there's something that you're thinking or you're believing, there's a part of yourself that you're not aware of, it can end up hurting who more than anybody else? It can hurt you. And he's saying, I want you to know, God, what is it that all my anxiety revolves around? Reveal this to me because what's happening is anxiety in general is a symptom of something else, right? That you're thinking. And that thinking, that pattern of thinking can be What? hurtful to you. And then he says, I want to get rid of that because I want the everlasting way. I want the f- life of fullness that you talk about. I want to walk in that. And then in 2 Corinthians here in, uh, at the very end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, he says something really interesting to new believers. He says this, verse five, test yourselves. How many of you like tests? Most people don't like tests. I mean, they even have counseling sessions now for students who have test anxiety, you know, to get over that. Nobody likes that. But here, Paul is telling them in verse 5, test yourself, test yourself to see if you are in the faith, examine yourself. Now, this is really important to understand is because we misunderstand this verse a lot in America and our kind of culture Christianity. This is what we think, is if we think Christianity is moralism, what we do is testing ourselves is, do I act right? Do I dress right? Do I speak right? Do I think right? But that's not what he's talking about. He says, test yourselves to see if you are aware in the faith. And what is our faith? What is faith? Is faith the power to do, like, act right, dress right, think right, sing right, speak right? Is that it? Is it moralism? No. Faith at its core is that I am flawed... And I want to now have the righteousness of God bestowed on me through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul discusses this in Philippians chapter three, where he says, I, I give up all of the think right, do right, uh, all the accolades. He says, "You know, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous. I, was, I had achieved all these things. I give them all up because knowing Christ Jesus... And the power of his resurrection is the most important thing. So our faith is all about what? Finding ourselves, our righteousness in Jesus. So I need to test myself to see if I am in the faith that says that Jesus is my one and only. I want to examine myself. Because if I am not at my core, knowing myself and who I am, if that's what I'm really doing, then I'm going to have hurtful ways in me, ways that hurt my faith they hurt me, right? He goes, do you not recognize that? Here's where he drills this point home. Do you not recognize that this is about yourself? So we have to know ourselves. And what does he say about ourselves? That Jesus Christ is where? He's in you. So the more I know myself as a follower of Christ, the more I can see the work of Jesus and what he's doing in me. That's what this is all about. He goes, that is unless indeed you fail the test. So it's all about knowing yourself, okay? And you know what? The most important thing God wants you to know about yourself. Before I tell you, I got I to gotta share a little story. So I'm an outward processor. You know, sometimes I have to like talk and see how, you know, so I'm talking, I'm talking. One of the things I do is I walk a three-mile loop around my neighborhood, you know, and there's a lot of people from the church who would be drive by and they see me. And they're like, well, I want to honk or say hi, but you're talking, you know, and I thought you're talking to somebody on the phone. I just want you to know I never ever make a phone call on my walk. I'm just talking out loud to myself. That's why people who walk on that that path with me won't ever come to church here because they think I'm insane. All right. <laughs> but, but I'm just, you know, I'm a verbal processor. So I'm talking to a guy, I'm talking to a friend of mine. And I, I was just saying, well, what are you preaching on this week? What specifically, you know, cause he knows I have to, you know, verbalize stuff to get it, kind of get it right. Cause sometimes it comes out wrong. You know, I don't know if that ever happens to you, but it happens to me. And so I would say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the most important thing that God wants us to know about ourselves. You know, God really wants us to know how he loves us and he values us, but we have kind of a disease. You know what I would call this disease? I'd call it a cancer of the soul. You know what cancer is, right? What's the interesting thing about cancer is that it's not a foreign bacteria or virus. Cancer is actually your own cells right? And what your own cells are doing is they are reproducing so rapidly and they are creating a false image of who you are in your body. And so your immune system doesn't recognize it. And then it starts stealing all these resources and it eventually kills you. So these are like false cells, and so that's why you hit him with chemo because it kills him off, right? So I'm talking about all this and stuff and he's listening to me and he's listening to me. And he has this wonderful gift to summate everything that I'm, you know, I blather on for a while into just a really quick sentence. And he says, so pastor, you a guy are going to stand up on Sunday and tell women what's wrong with them. And I said, now that you say that, I want everybody to know I'm now going to preach my Christmas message. (laughs) No, that's when God won't let you off the hook. God loves you. He values you, but he tells you the truth, ladies. And just like men, you have a disease. And this disease, first of all, it impacts your soul and it undermines your relationships. It undermines your relationships with your parents and your kids, Uh, if you're married with your spouse, if you're not married and you're dating, your perception of how to build a relationship. But most importantly, it influences in a negative way your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself. And so what what I want to do today is not tell you where you're wrong. What I want to do is I just want to put in a specific light what God says and it's not a judgmental statement, it's a diagnostic statement so that you can find hope and freedom. And what he says is he says that you, like guys, you have a curse. And to understand the very nature of this disease and where it comes from, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. So I wanna to read to you in context in Genesis chapter three the nature of this thing called the curse, okay? And this is after Adam and Eve did what they weren't supposed to do because they believed the serpent, which was representative of Satan, right? Who is living in rebellion to God. And he convinces them that they now need to reject their partnership with God. Because if you remember in the garden, the Adam and Eve together in a wonderful supportive, encouraging, mutually beneficial relationship. They had a partnership together. They were to rule, co-rule with God, okay? And then what happens is they decide to listen to the serpent and say, we don't need God, we'll do it ourselves. And so what is often um, happens is that God then makes a statement of truth. People have called this the curse, but I'm, I'm kind of rethinking that that title. It's something else. And what it is, is it's because you've chosen to do this, here's the result, okay? Listen to this. He says to the serpent, "'Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go. Dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman.'" Isn't that interesting? And between your seed and her seed, and this is the prophetic statement of Christ down the road, he says, "He shall bruise, you, you shall bruise uh, on the head, and you, he will bruise you on your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And what that is, is that's a Hebrew idiomatic statement that says, you're going to be an annoyance, but he's going to crush you, all right? You don't stand a chance. Then to the woman, he says, verse 16, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Verse 17, and then to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So notice for the guy, he says, you are from dust, right? And to dust you will return. And what is the nature of the outcome of the man? And that is the dust, the dirt, will only produce by the sweat of your brow. Okay, isn't that interesting? So we could continue to talk about that, but I want to go back to verse 16 and focus on that statement real quick that says to help us understand the nature, ladies, of the thing that you are dealing with. Number one, he says this, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Is that true? Enough said. in pain. Now, this is what's difficult. In Hebrew, there's very limited vocabulary. So, they use the same word for a lot of different things. And from the context, you need, the problem is, is that we are not 3,000-year-ago Jewish people listening to this. But he says, in, he says, In pain, you shall nurture children or raise up children. Since we use the term delivery to refer to labor, we tend to understand this as, oh, so in pain, I will have children uh, in birth, and then in pain, I'm going to deliver them. But that's not what he's saying. What he's actually saying is in pain, you'll have childbirth. It's going to be difficult to get pregnant and to you know, it's going to be very uncomfortable through labor. Then he says, but you shall also nurture them up in pain. Okay. So co-creating life with God is painful. And then nurturing that life is painful. And it's difficult. Now in scripture, the feminine has a very unique quality, that is, is that the masculine provides the seed or the catalyst for life, and then the feminine receives the seed, and then it multiplies the seed. It nurtures the seed. So if you look at the actual words that the Hebrews used for male and female, right, uh, the word for male meant basically sword and then the word for female meant sheath of the sword okay and so she would receive that but then she would multiply it and what was one of the main commands of God when they were co-leading this reality with God he said be fruitful and what multiply so the feminine is particularly oriented towards the multiplication now you've heard some of the stories, is that you know women receive and multiply, okay? So it's a, it's kind of a thing. Preachers been talking about this a long time, and that is, is that men, you know, uh, if you give your wife a house, she will take it, receive it, multiply it, and she turns it into what a home. That's what I did. You know, 20 some years ago, I went out, I built this structure, you know, I worked on it myself, did all the stuff. Friends helped me, I built the thing myself. So I built the house, but my wife Kim turned it into a place of love and affection. And I look at it and I go, man, I put that board there and I mounted that window there and I poured that concrete there, you know. But she and my kids look at it, they have this emotion about it that, Sometimes I even struggle to feel it's it's where all their Christmases took place and all the meals with the family took place. And you know what I'm saying? It's just so interesting, you know. My my older kids, you know, are married and have their own houses. And when I go to their house, what do I do? Right? I go. And I wait, and then they say, Open the door. Dad, it's so good to see you. Come on in. But when they come to my house. It's still what? Their house, right? Because they grew up there. And so they walk, They come in, you know, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm just like, man, I thought when I got rid of the kids, you know, I could lay on the couch without a shirt on. But no, you're never free. You're never truly free. You always have to close the bathroom, even when you're an empty nester. So if there's nothing else, you could take that home. That's my takeaway today from church. You've heard that, wow, if, if, you know, you stop at the grocery store, you bring it home, you put the groceries on it, your wife receives that, what does she do? She takes the groceries and she turns it into a meal, right? She multiplies, right? So if you give her, you know, conversation, she takes her conversation, what does she do? She can multiply that. Uh, you, you, if you take this and you give it to her, she can multiply that. If, guys, if you give your wife grief and heartache, guess what she'll do with it? Yeah, She'll multiply it in your life. So the issue is, is co-creating life will be painful. Nurturing life will be painful because of the nature of the feminine is to receive and to multiply. But here is where it really gets dicey. He says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, this is called an idiomatic expression expression. And in Hebrew, it means not what we initially... What is an idiomatic expression? That means that the words in the expression, you cannot determine the meaning of it. For instance, when people are learning English from a different language, one of the most difficult parts of English is we have all these idiomatic expressions that we use that nobody... We use them all the time, but they're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like, if you say, man you know, my brother called me and he's annoying me over and over again. Okay. If someone who's just learning English says, well, over means you're over and then there's an under. So you're over, under, over, under. What does that mean? And you go, oh, when I say over and over again, what I'm saying is it happens repeatedly. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So you're explaining all of these idiomatic expressions. And this idiomatic expression basically means this. It means your main relationship in life is going to be the focus. So you will think about it, talk about it, read about it, worry about it, uh, conversations with your girlfriends about it. You're going to invest in it more than any other thing in your life. Even if you're single, you will think about it and invest about it and wonder about it and worry about it and focus on it more than any other relationship in life but guess what you in this relationship in all of your energy and effort will not be able to turn it into what you want because your everything you do with your husband in trying to get it where you want it will not work Your desire will be for your husband, but he'll rule over you. It's not a statement of, he's the boss. It's more of a statement like, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to turn him into what you want. Now, what this means is, therefore, the curse can cause something in you. Your desire is for love, it's to nurture, it's for all this wonderful stuff, but The curse can cause a perpetual dissatisfaction in your relationships, all of them. Are these common emotions for you? Are you like, I have friends, but I don't have enough friends. I should have more friends. Or do you have friendships? and You have lots of friends, but you think, you know, my friends don't value our friendship the way I value it. They don't look at it the way I look at it. It's kind of dissatisfying your extended family. Have you ever had emotions and feelings like this? And that is, is that No matter how, it's like, no matter how many things we go to, how many often, it's like, well, we we need to go see our parents, and well, we haven't gone to see your parents in a while. Honey, we need to go see your parents. And he's thinking, man, that's been a blessing in my life, you know? I mean, I love my mom and dad, but a little spaces. You go, no, we need to go see them more. We we don't see our cousins and our nephews and our aunts and our uncles and uh, enough, enough. There's this sense that, boy, we need to do more with extended family. If you're dating, you know, do you, are you dating and you always feel like, well, if this, if this thing isn't progressing at this time, then it's, this person isn't really interested in me and loves me at all, right? I, I just need to move on. And in your marriage, if you're married, the curse can cause perpetual dissatisfaction in your relationships because what the curse does, is take your natural drive towards nurture and love and your desire for your husband. And what happens? It turns it into an obsession. It turns it into obsession. Isn't it interesting the, the way we translate this? Your desire will be. Your desire will be. What happens when your desire becomes an expectation? And expectations are so fascinating because you know what they do? It's expectations that create disappointment in our own lives. I expect this. And when that doesn't happen well, how do we feel? How do you feel? You know, well, I expect fill in the blank. And when it doesn't happen, it's like, well, that person must not love me. That person doesn't care about me because that's how I expect it to be. Expectations cause hurt, right? If you expect something from your spouse or you're dating a guy, you know, or from your kids and they don't, it doesn't happen, There's loss there. You see, an expectation creates a standard, and when it's not met, there's loss, and loss always creates pain. It always creates pain, and pain creates grief. Expectations can also cause a lack of gratitude. I remember a story a while back. uh, This guy came and said, Pastor, I kind of need to have a... I I need some guidance. You know, I've been married for 15 years, and, and my wife's been telling me that... I, I, I'm not like romantic enough or anything. And so he said, so I stopped, you know, and I bought some flowers, you know, at Albertsons. And then I came home and I dropped them off. Right. And I gave them to her and she took them and she threw them on the counter. And she said, it's about time. (laughs) And he said, I thought it, if I were like, you know, being what she wanted, she would think it was a good thing. But now it looks like it's a bad thing when I do what she wants. Can you help me understand this? <laughs> Pray and fast, my brother. Pray and fast. But that, but that's just not true for you, ladies. It's true for everybody. Is when we have expectations, right, and our desires turn into expectations. There's nothing wrong with desires, but when we hard, fast, make them into expectations, that's when we can have a lack of gratitude. So the best way to counter this in your life, I want to give you something practical. The best way to counter this issue of the curse in your own life and how it can have you obsess on your relationships and feel perpetually disappointed in them is to institute something that I call a relational Sabbath now write that down. I need to have a relational Sabbath. What is a Sabbath? Well, when you go back and you look at it, it's a day where you rest. It's a day where you rest from improving, working on, wondering about, investing in, planning for better relationships. Uh, A Sabbath is where God was not exhausted after he created the heavens and earth. six He wasn't exhausted and said, oh, oh my goodness, I need a day. It was a day to sit back and look at the goodness and blessing of everything that he had created. And he said, Jesus phrased it this way. He goes, look, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for what? Man. To give you an opportunity to do what? Take joy in everything that has been done. You see, a relational Sabbath is this, is one day a week, I'm not going to worry about, I'm not going to invest in, I'm not going to try to work on, I'm not going to set higher expectations for the most important relationships in my life. What I am going to do is I'm going to take a day and I'm just going to say, thank you, I'm just going to bask for the 16 hours of I'm awake on this Saturday or this Sunday or whatever, and I am just going to be thankful, and I am going to feel blessed for everything that I do have in my life. So, so if you're a single mom and you're at this place in your life, you could just simply say, one day a week, I'm going to take off, and I'm not going to bemoan the fact that I haven't found my forever guy yet. I'm not going to do this. But what I do have is I have these lives that, God, that I get to nurture, and I'm, just, I'm not going to sit and think on this day of how difficult and how hard it is. I've got six days, 24 hours in a day to worry and think about that. But one day a week, I'm just going to say, thank you, God. For these, these lives that I have. And thank you, God, for my friends that helped me do this. And thank you, God, for extended family that helped me do this. And thank you, God, for a church that has men in it who, aren't will, who are more than willing to stand up and say, I'm a man, and I'm not ashamed of it. Thank God for that. If you're in... Cause when, the pushback I get from this is that, well, pastor, you have no idea how bad it is in my marriage. You just don't know how bad it is. And I said, well, I haven't lived your experience. But if it falls into this area over here where the covenant has been broken, then staying in a broken covenant that God's not redeeming, that, you know, Jesus talks about how to exit that. But if you're not there, then you're over here. Can it be awesome and can it be bad? Absolutely." It can be awesome or bad. But what you need to realize is that even if it's not great and it's not where you want it, the notion that you can't be thankful for anything, that's more of a statement of a lack of faith than truth. You see, take a day off from worrying about it. Take a day off from time and have to change it. Take a day off from pushing for something more. Just take a day and say, I'm going to bless God for the fact that I'm alive. I'm going to bless God that I actually know people. I'm going to bless God for the fact that He loves me and I'm His child. I'm going I'm to be thankful for the relationships I do have. And I'm going to be thankful for these things. And I'll tell you what, ladies, if you took a day off a week from that, and you spent a day in your husband's life, and you showed up, you said, you know what, today, I'm just thankful that I have a husband And I'm thankful for you. I guarantee you that will transform your life. Let's stand for closing prayer. Sometimes, God, we wonder what you're doing, not because of who you are, but because sometimes we just don't understand the mysteries of how you do what you do. But we know that we love it and we can trust it. Amen. God bless you guys.
2: You come run into my arms. You can fall, you can fall on me. I ain't ever gonna leave you. So don't keep another secret. Oh, your tears are a weakness. You can fall, you can Fall on. can't stand praise him all you creatures great and small praise him some oh. Spring and fall, howling wind, rushing streams, rolling hills, and crashing seas lift your voice and worship your creator. Praise him, gleaming moon and burning sun. Praise him. Shining stars, golden beams, choir made of galaxies, lift your I've been saved and heaven is my home I can't wait for that day